0: Appreciate Mason filling in today for his dad, so appreciate the work that he's done. It's good to see each of you tonight. Turn, if you would, to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7 is where we're going to be. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you, Lord, for the health and the strength that allows us to be back tonight. Thank you for the freedom that we have to assemble. God, I pray that you'd help me in these next few moments to say something that would be a help to us in the days to come. Lord, just something that we could think about, meditate on, and uh, use from time to time uh, when you would lay it upon our hearts. I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, I don't know if you'll remember this or not, but we were in Matthew chapter 11, and we watched as Christ spoke to a multitude of people. And it was said in the scripture that the people that he was talking to was in the region where the majority of his miracles had taken place. Not only had they been the witnesses to the miracles of Christ, but they also had the teaching of John the Baptist and his preaching. They also had the teaching and the preaching of Christ himself. And as Christ spoke to the multitude that day, he began to rebuke them. And the reason that he rebuked them is because they did not repent from the lifestyle that they were living. They were a very indifferent group of people to everything that they had seen and to everything that they had witnessed. And so last week I tried to remind us that with everything we have been exposed to, with everything that God has allowed to take place in our lives, when you and I refuse to repent, when you and I refuse to make things right whenever we're confronted, that is not something that Christ or God is going to overlook. We have to be aware of this truth that we are accountable for everything that we have heard and everything that has come our way by way of scriptural truth. And so that should challenge us and that should motivate us to have a very tender and receptive spirit to the truth of God's word because we don't want to get calloused to the point that we don't repent and make things right when we need to. And so don't know if that's anything that stuck with you or not, but it is something that we need to be aware of. It's something we need to be mindful of. Tonight we're going to be in a familiar portion of Scripture, and it's one where you'll probably see where the message is headed fairly quickly. I'll just be very honest with you. I tried to skip over this portion of Scripture. I read over it. And I thought, nah, I don't want to mess with that or, or, or deal with that. I would rather move on to something else. And whenever I looked at other portions of Scripture, it was like the Holy Spirit said, why don't you want to deal with this? And uh, you need to deal with this. So I tried to be obedient, and that's why we're here tonight. Uh, I really do think if we will listen to this, if we will consider it, as I said a moment ago, I think it can be a help to us in the days to come. I'd like to begin by having you think about something, I'm going to give you a couple of scenarios, and only one of these is possible, but none of them will happen tonight, okay? Not from my perspective. I want you to imagine this evening that you are at a restaurant, you have already ordered, the bill has come, and you realize at that moment you don't have your wallet, I don't know if that's ever happened to you or not, but that can be a sunken feeling. So as you sit there and realize that you do not have your wallet, you're nervous, you're a little bit antsy, and suppose I found out you didn't have your wallet, which meant you didn't have the ability to pay, suppose I stepped up and I said to you, listen, don't worry about it, it's not a problem, I've got it, I'll take care of it. I would suspect that you would appreciate that gesture of generosity on my part, right? So if I stepped up and paid your bill because you were incapable of paying the bill, you would be appreciative for what I did for you. Now, that's the only one out of the scenario that I'm able to do. Again, it's not happening tonight, but I just want us to think about this. Suppose you found yourself in a position... Where you said, I need to pay off my car, but I don't have the financial resources to pay it off. Suppose I stepped up to you and said, tell you what, I'll pay off your car for you. Would you appreciate it? Well, of course you would appreciate it if you had a loan on a car, right? Right. If if you're not sure, I'll, I'll just tell you, if you want to pay off I start saying my car loan. By the grace of God, I don't have one right now. But, but if a few months ago you had stepped up and said, hey, Kyle, let me take care of that for you, I, I would have appreciated it, okay? So, so I, I can't pay off your car loans, but, but say I could. I, I think you'd appreciate it. Suppose you said to me tonight, hey, hey, listen, where we're really struggling is with this whole house payment thing every month. And I said, listen, I, I understand. I, too, once had a house payment oh, wait, I still have a house payment. But nonetheless, here's what I'll do. I'll step up and I'll pay your house off. Think you'd appreciate it? Well, of course you would appreciate it. Who who would not appreciate a gesture of generosity like that? Now, again, in dealing with a principle that will show us fairly quickly as to where this message is headed, I just want us to think about this question. If I bought your meal, you would appreciate it, most likely. There's a chance you might be an an inconsiderate individual and not really be thankful, but most likely you would appreciate it. But if I paid off your car loans, you would probably appreciate that more. And then if I were to pay off your mortgage, you would probably appreciate that even more more than me paying off a car loan or buying your meal. We we realize the simplicity of this thought, right? The greater the measure the gift is from our perspective, the greater our appreciation will be for what's been done for us. Now, as that is so, maybe we're wired different, maybe we're geared just a little bit different. But I think this would be true of most of us, that if someone did something like that, whatever it was, whether it be the meal, the car, or the mortgage, if someone showed some kind of generosity toward us, what do we think our natural inclination would be toward the person who did that for us? I don't know if we'd all have the same answer. I don't know if we'd all have the same response. But I think this would be true of most of us, that we would want to express a serious measure of gratitude. And that would probably be expressed in us trying to do something for the one who did something for us. It may not begin to compare to what the person did for us by way of size or by way of value, but we would do everything we could to try to express our gratitude by doing something for them. So if you paid off my house tonight, I want you to know I'd probably try to buy your meal somewhere down the road. I would want to do something for you to express my gratitude. If you were not thankful and you did not express some gratitude by trying to do something for the one who did something for you, that would speak volumes about your character and the person that you are. We would agree with that, would we not? All right. So that in mind, if we're in Luke chapter 7 tonight, I want us to begin looking in verse number 36. In Luke chapter 7, verse number 36, here is what we read. It says, and one of the Pharisees desired him that he, that being Christ, would eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet You look down in verse number 40 and you have the name of the Pharisee who invited Christ to his house to eat. His name was Simon. And so based on the invitation that was given by this Pharisee named Simon, it says that Christ went in and they were going to have this meal. Now, the text or the context does not really tell us as to The overall atmosphere of the meal, the overall spirit of the meal, the nature of the meal, but it does not seem to be one of the more confrontational times that Christ had with the Pharisees. This seems to be a more friendly gesture, maybe it was a little bit more of an honest or sincere gesture on the part of this Pharisee by the name of Simon. But nonetheless, it says that Christ accepted the invitation, he went in and he sat down to meet, which means he was going to eat and have this meal with the Pharisee. So as that is so, I think some of us know this, that the custom of their day, the culture of their day is far different than what ours is oftentimes. And so in their day, we need to understand this, that sometimes when an event like this was taking place, you could have onlookers who were able to see what was happening, but they were not a part of what was actually taking place. So it's like you had spectators of an eating event that would be different, would it not? If you invited someone over to your house and, and they accepted the invitation and then all of a sudden you had a bunch of people show up that were not invited just to watch you eat, in our day we would say, that's weird, you need to leave. But in their day, that was somewhat acceptable. It could happen on occasion. Something else we need to understand by way of culture and some of our differences is this is that they are not known in their day for having what we would refer to as a dining room table that's not how people would generally eat and so as the pictures have been presented at different times we need to have this in our minds that oftentimes they would sit on the floor in some kind of a setting and they would have their feet behind them and, of course, the food in front of them. And so here's what seems to be the, 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 the scenario or the setting, that Christ is at the house of Simon the Pharisee, a meal has been prepared, Christ will be eating with Simon and whoever else the invited guests would have been, but there would also be people who were nothing more than spectators to the meal and the conversation between Christ and the other guest. So with that in mind, it says in verse number 37, And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisees' house, brought an alabaster box of ointment. So this woman of the city, which is a sinner, finds out that Christ is in the house of Simon the Pharisee, and it says she brought an alabaster box of ointment. Now whenever it says that the woman was a sinner, what does that imply? Well, it implies that she was a prostitute. That is what the general understanding would be, is that this woman was a prostitute. And so it says that she brought an alabaster box of ointment. And remember, Christ is the guest of Simon there in his house. And notice what it says in verse number 38. It says of her that she stood at his feet behind him weeping, and began to wash his feet with tears, and did wipe them with the hairs of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with oil. Can I just be honest with you? Under no circumstance do I want anybody doing that to me. Are you with me? I don't mind a good foot rub from Susie every once in a while, but I sure don't want a stranger messing with my feet. I don't want... I just don't want strangers messing with my feet. I, I just I, I don't want any of that happening in, in my personal life. Now, now, why mention that? Why bring this to our attention? Can you imagine how distracting this could have been? You're trying to eat and you're trying to carry on a conversation with someone who has invited you into their house. And there is this woman behind you. And according to the scripture, she is crying so much so that she is washing the feet of Jesus with her tears. Friends, that is a serious measure of crying taking place. I mean, you have to be pretty intense in in that moment for there to be enough tears to be able to wash someone's feet. To to be able to wipe the feet with the hair of the head and then to kiss the feet and then to anoint the feet with oil uh, or with the ointment. Friends, that would have been a great distraction, but it seems as though Christ was able to completely block that out. But the Pharisee, Simon, was unable to do so. Notice what it says in verse number 39. 39. It says, Now when the Pharisee which had bidden him saw it, he spake within himself, saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner. So what is Simon thinking in his mind? Simon is thinking within himself that if this were truly a prophet, if this were truly a man of God, Listen now, he would never allow such a woman to do this to him. He wouldn't be okay with her touching him. He wouldn't be okay with with, with all the affection being shown to him. And so as the man, Simon, has concluded this in his own mind, Christ began speaking in verse number 40. It says, And Jesus answering said unto him, Simon... I have somewhat to say unto thee, or I want to ask you something, and Simon, or he saith, Master, say on. So Christ says in verse number 41, there was a certain creditor which had two debtors, the one owed 500 pence and the other 50. So there's a creditor there that Christ is drawing the attention to Simon to, and he says this creditor had two debtors, One debtor owed 500 pence, and the other owed 50. And in verse number 42, he said, And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. So what does that mean? It just means this, the man who owed 500 pence, he didn't have the ability to pay off his loan. But he was no different than the man who was in the position of owing 50 pence. The man who owed 50 was just as incapable of paying off his debt. So we see two men who were in the same position, incapable of paying off their debt. So Christ said in verse number 42 by way of a question, He said, Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? If both men's debts have been forgiven, one owing 500, the other owing 50, if they've both been forgiven their debt, which one will love the creditor most? So 43, verse number 43, it says, Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he forgave most. It just makes sense that the greater the gift, the greater the love. The greater the generosity, the greater measure of love would be reciprocated toward the one who was so kind and generous. So in verse number 43, it says that Christ said unto him, thou hast rightly judged. You're exactly right, Christ says. So then, Christ continues, it says, And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? Christ knew that Simon had already had his attention gained by this woman, right? Christ has just set Simon up perfectly. He said, seest thou this woman? I entered into thine house. Thou gavest me no water for my feet. But she hath washed my feet with tears. And wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman, since the time I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil thou didst not anoint, but this woman hath anointed my feet with ointment. Here is what Christ is saying to Simon. I know you're mindful of this woman. I know that you're aware of what she's guilty of. I know that you know what what her lifestyle has been. But he says, I want you to see something that she has treated me vastly different than how you have treated me. What she has done for me in comparison to what you have done for me, the two do not even begin to compare. So he says in verse number 47, Wherefore I say unto thee, Her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she hath loved much, But to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. Now, before we deal with the rest of the verses, I I want us to look down in verse number 50. It says, And he said unto the woman, Thy faith hath saved thee, go in peace. Now, I don't know exactly when this woman placed her faith in Christ. The Scripture doesn't tell us when that moment took place, but I want us to understand this, that what Christ made clear is that her faith is what saved her, not the fact that she loved him much. Okay, This is important by way of the doctrine, by way of the understanding of faith or salvation and how it takes place. This woman was saved by faith in the exact same way that everyone else is saved, through faith in the person of Jesus Christ. So Christ said specifically in verse number 50, Thy faith has saved thee. But to go back to verse number 47, He said, Wherefore I say unto thee, Her sins which are many are forgiven, for she hath loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. He said unto her, Thy sins are forgiven. And of course those that sat there, it says in verse number 49, that set at meat with him, began to say within themselves, Who is this that forgiveth sins also? So, of course, Christ began to ruffle the feathers of people because he declared her sins to be forgiven. Now, somebody says, where are you going with this? What is the point of all this? Well, I want us to see this, that here is what Christ said to Simon, that she had been saved, and he made the declaration to this woman, you have been saved because of your faith. As a result of her faith, which saved her and her sins being forgiven, Here is what she did. She loved Christ much. She recognized what had been done for her. She recognized to some extent what had taken place in her life. And because of what happened in her life, she loved Christ much. And she appreciated, obviously, what Christ did for her. And how could one tell that she was appreciative of what Christ did? Because of her desire to do something for the one who had done something for her. Does this make sense? Her faith saved her, Christ said. He said, Thy sins be forgiven. And as a result of the sins being forgiven, as a result of that transaction taking place, there was within her a desire to express some appreciation to the one who had done much for her. So here is Simon the Pharisee, and is he of a similar lifestyle or of a similar past of the, of, of the prostitute? Well, well, not at all. So as a result, what does he lack? He lacks any kind of appreciation for what Christ could have done for him. Which then means this, by way of Christ's own testimony, because there was no real awareness of what Christ could have done for him, there was no appreciation for it, which meant there was no real desire to do anything For the one who could. That's why he didn't wash the feet of Jesus. That's why he didn't give him a kiss. That's why he didn't anoint him. That's why he didn't do anything for Christ. Because he saw no value in the work that could have been done in his life through Christ. Now this may not seem real exciting tonight. This may not seem to be real purposeful tonight. But again, I think there's a challenge in this. I want us to consider something tonight for for just a couple of moments, something that we need to be reminded of. I don't know how else to say it. We need to be reminded of. I think you and I, we need to be reminded from time to time that it does not matter where we have come from. All of us are like the two creditors in the text Unable to have paid the spiritual debt that we accrued because of our sin. We understand this? There was a debt in our spiritual life by way of our relationship with Christ. And it does not matter where we were at in life when Christ found us and where, when Christ saved us. It doesn't matter what our story is. When we we were without Christ, there was an inability to pay our debt. Now, 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 that's important, again, for us to remember because somebody may say something like this, Well, I was a good individual. I was a good person. I was raised in a Christian home, and I wasn't guilty of all these sins. It doesn't matter what our past was. There was an inability to pay the the price for our sins. And so if we are saved tonight, obviously we are saved by faith. And because we are saved by faith, it is Christ who paid the price and paid the debt for our sins. Okay. So as we think about that... I know what the natural inclination should be. That the more that we have been forgiven of, the more we would love the one who forgave. That would be the natural inclination, correct? I really wish we'd listen to this. That would be the natural inclination. The more that we have been forgiven of, the more we would love the one who has forgiven us. But here's the reality of it. That no matter what we've been forgiven of, we should be able to appreciate what's been done for us. If all I did for you was buy you a meal, you should be able to appreciate that. Would you appreciate the car loan being paid off more than just a meal? Of course, but you should still be able to appreciate the gift of a meal being bought. Now, I'm saying that to try to tie all this together. It doesn't matter how great your sin was or how little you think your sin was. No matter the level of sin, because of our inability to pay for our sin, there should be a measure of gratitude expressed to the one who saved us and gave us life in christ so you may sit here tonight and you may have the worst background of anyone in this church you may say i can look at my lifestyle prior to salvation and brother kyle i have this 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 and this okay you should be willing to love God much because of what he did for you. But if I don't have all the same sins racked up in my past that you've got racked up in your past, I should still be grateful for what God has done for me. So that then should kind of level out the field, so to speak that I'm grateful, and that you're grateful. So if we're grateful for what's been done for us, what should be a natural response on our part? Well, it should be more than just a thank you, correct? I mean, a thank you is nice, but remember a moment ago, we said if, if somebody did something fantastic for us, there would be what? There would be a desire to do something for the one who did something for us. So if I've been saved of whatever sins I've been saved from and if you've been saved from whatever sins you were saved from as a result of our debt being paid by the gracious nature of Christ, if we're truly grateful, we will want to do for him because of what he has done for us. And when there's not much of a desire to do something for Christ the one who saved us you really do need to question the appreciation and love for what's been done for us just makes sense I want it to, obviously. I want this to to make sense. But there should be within us such a desire to do something on our own free will for the one who has done so much for us. Now, I know that should be obvious, I know that should be fairly easy to understand, but I want us to consider this simple question. How often do we struggle to want to do for the one who's done so much for us? Do we ever find that as a struggle in our personal lives? Christ has done all this for us, naturally and instinctively we should want to do for Him. And yet sometimes if we're we're honest, if we're not careful, here's what happens. We don't want to do anything for the one who's done so much for us. I think if we're honest, sometimes we do things out of guilt, not out of appreciation. Sometimes we do things out of obligation, not because of a desire. And sometimes we just set it aside completely and don't do what ought to come natural and just continue on with our lives as though it's no big deal. It is interesting, isn't it, if you think about it, how much we as Christians sometimes need to be begged to do things for Christ when it really ought to just come natural for us. Sometimes you have to beg people to to just be in the house of God. Sometimes you have to beg people, please, just, just spend some time in the Word this week. You have to beg people, please, spend some time in prayer this week. You have to beg people, hey, hey, do some self-examination and ask yourself if there's anything that needs to be addressed in your personal life. Come on, we have to beg people sometimes to, to share their faith with others. We have to beg people sometimes to, to, to just try to reach out to the lost and to the hurting. Isn't it amazing sometimes? How much we have to be coerced to do what ought to be natural for us. Every one of us who are saved, we've been given something wonderful, something we don't deserve, and something that should provoke in us a deep, measure of appreciation and where there is that love and appreciation there will be a desire to do something for the one who has done something for us she's going to ask us this evening not not in a condemning fashion not not in a in an effort to to guilt anyone i just want us to consider a, a simple question How much of a desire do we have to do for the one who has done so much for us? What kind of a real desire, when we stop and think of everything that Christ has done for us, what kind of a desire do we really have to do for him? in light of what's been done for us. I can't speak for anyone but myself. But you know what's true of me so many times? I've grown used to the generosity that was bestowed upon me. And friends, we can take it for granted if we're not careful. We can get so used to it, we can be so accustomed to it, that it does not really stir within us a desire to do something for him, but it ought to. So I'm asking you tonight, what kind of a a desire do you have to do something for Christ because of everything he has done for you? If the desire isn't really there, you, as well as myself, you need to be reminded of what Christ did for you. He brought you out of that pit. He established you. He set you on that rock. He changed your direction. He has given you eternity to look forward to in heaven with Him. And friends, if that doesn't motivate us to serve the Lord, there is nothing that I can say or anyone else can say to motivate us. But we ought to have a desire to do for him because of what he's done for us. Let's all stand tonight and bow our heads for prayer. Fathers, we come to you this evening. I pray that you'd help us, Lord to be reminded of this simple conversation between Christ and Simon the Pharisee. Lord, that we have much reason to be serving you. There should be such a desire within us because of what you have done for us, for us to want to do something for you. And Lord, I think if we're honest, every one of us would have to admit that that really does that desire it seems to ebb and flow in our lives. Sometimes we do really well, and then other times we really struggle. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us tonight that there should be a consistency. That you'd help us to realize that there should be some, some just some steadiness in what it is we're doing for you, how we're living for you, and, and how we're serving you. So I pray that you'd speak to hearts however you'd see fit. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.